everybody to Overdue Rentals, where we talk about films that maybe didn't get their fair shake when they originally came out, or maybe they were big hits, award winners even, but people don't talk about it much anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. I'm Mike Reyes. And today, we're going to be joined by Frank Conniff, which many of you may know him better as TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Ryan Johnson 2002 sci-fi hit, Looper. I say hit, Mike, but before we get into into that distinction of it, let let me just quickly, for those who haven't seen it, Looper is a time-traveling, well, yeah, yeah, we'll call it a time-traveling sci-fi movie. From 2012. I'm sorry? From 2012. From 2012. From 2002. Did I? Yes, you did. Wow. Unless this movie can, unless this movie loops back into our past. And no, no, no. Johnson a hitmaker before he even debuts, which honestly would be brilliant and, and tie into the film, but go on. No, but the, the film revolves around a group of criminals known as loopers. Now, loopers are young men uh, and women who have been hired to kill people who have been sent back from the future. Basically, in the future, time travel exists. And they use uh, criminals use it as a way to dispose of bodies without being found because it's easier for them to be caught in the future. So they send somebody back, let the looper take care of it, they get payout, and then at some point in their contract, they're gonna get a, they're gonna get they're gonna get somebody who visits them who they're gonna have to kill who's gonna be themselves from the future. That's called closing a loop, and that's the very generic version of looper. And where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a young looper. And where his future self is Bruce Willis, who when he comes back actually fools him, doesn't get killed because he wants to save the woman he loves in the future. And that's basically all you need to know that this is truly sci-fi is Joseph Gordon-Levitt grows up to be Bruce Willis. It's funny. And maybe we'll talk about this later, but there is, there's also, there's a lot of, C, not CG, but it's CG. There's, there is special effects to make Joseph Gordon-Levitt look a little bit more like Bruce Willis, which I think people may have oh, been yeah. jarred by at first. And maybe that's what maybe shook people off the film a little bit. Oh, no, they do a real good job of like, I think he has a prosthetic nose and he, he basically studied Bruce Willis's mannerisms and voice. And no, it's just practical, good old fashioned, like, like it's, it's, it's more of a smart aleck crack than a, and than a disc because it, it really doesn't matter with the way that this film plays out and the way that their performances play out. You know, I mean, this this is a film, too, that when it came out, I absolutely, I mean, I still love the film, but I absolutely was head over heels for this movie. And I didn't think it was as big as a hit as it was supposed to be or maybe should have been. Um, So I'm glad we're talking about it today. I was sold on this concept the moment that it was announced. And one of the earliest pieces of announcement was, I think it was on Tumblr. Ryan Johnson had an entire Tumblr for Looper. And he basically had this mock-up ad for a 70s MP3 player. Like, what if an MP3 player, I'll have to look it up, but what if an MP3 player existed in the 70s? And that was basically, like, the initial pitch. It's like, whoa. Okay. Yes. I didn't know about that. Interesting. It's news to, it's news to me. <laughs> if I haven't seen it, it's new to me. Well, you know, a lot of stuff's new to me. What can I say? But uh, yeah, Looper, Looper was a great movie. But, you know, it's really, really, really well done on all levels. Uh, and I think for people who didn't necessarily know Ryan Johnson before he became synonymous with Star Wars and Knives Out, 
you know, for because I I do think there are probably a lot of Star Wars fans, the ones who are bitter about uh, his installment in in the uh, in, in in the universe, that maybe just won't see his films now because of it, and they're missing out if that's the case. Uh, that is uh, that, that's a that's a discussion for another day. But yes, it uh, Ryan Johnson's filmography. Spoiler alert is more than Star Wars. Yes. And I think that's a good thing that we'll have to discuss with uh, our good guest, Frank Conniff, who I believe is waiting for us to let him in. I I think I see him banging on the virtual door now. Uh, Shall we do this? Frank, come on in to Overdue Rentals. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you having having you here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for choosing. Mike and I were talking because you chose to talk about Looper, which is a film that I could have sworn I had put on the list. Uh-huh. And when I went back to look at it, I was amazed that I actually wasn't there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of great uh, choices uh, on your list, but I, it was just overwhelming. I couldn't decide, so then I, I just picked Looper since it's a, it's, a, it's a favorite of mine. Well, I was just going to say, that's one of the most exciting things about doing overdue rentals is the fact that sometimes guests will bring in their choices and they'll just be like, why why didn't we think of that and it just it it's, tends to be more exciting because not that we're boring or anything but it's nice to have the guests sort of lead the choice mm-hmm. yeah well I, I also figured you know um since ryan johnson is also such a prominent figure you know that that, that was a good choice in that sense too since it was from him you know and he went on to do uh, so many other things so did you see the film when it first came out in theaters? I didn't see it in a theater. I actually, um, it's kind of an emotional story of my seeing it for the first time, which, mm. I'll, uh, which I'll share with you. I actually, I was working at um, uh, Current TV. Uh, this would have been like 2003 or something like that. And, um, or 2013, actually, more accurate. And, um my, my, I had gotten news that my, my brother Rex had, had died. Um, and I was like in a state of complete grief. And I, I left work and I came home and um, I, I, you know, I just was by myself and I was like, you know, and I had the pay-per-view thing on my TV and I'm like, I'm just gonna watch, I'm just gonna pick a movie that can just be an escape so I can just go away from myself, not think about anything. And, um, you know, just have, just like an escapist fantasy. That was like my reasoning for picking Looper, which I didn't know that much about. I didn't know that much about Ryan Johnson either. And so, um, so I bought that on the pay-per-view and, um, and I watched it <laughs> and it was just like the most emotionally like, drenching and cathartic thing I possibly could have watched at that moment because there's so much in it that I kind of related to and that kind of made me think of my family and 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 a lot of it is about drug addiction and um you know and that's something I've experienced in my life and um and there was stuff about my brother in it that just that, that I just made connections with and it was just it was the opposite of what I thought the experience, it was a great experience. It, it, it was so cathartic. I was just sobbing at the end of it, you know? And, um, but I think aside from all that, I think it's just a great movie anyway, but, but I think it's just a movie that I have a very deep connection to. And, um, and it's, it's, 
Um, it's one of my favorite movies of the 21st century, I would say. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's it's a movie that I was very surprised with when not only did I, I was I was kind of amazed with how much I loved it when I first saw it. Uh, right. But I even though a lot of critics loved it and a lot of people talk very highly of it, it didn't seem to kind of find its way into the mental mainstream that you the way you thought it would or the way you thought people yeah. you thought everybody was going to react the way you reacted and people kind of did in a strange way it kind of it kind of came and it i think it did okay and and it got good reviews um, but i think it's one of those movies that um that people just keep discovering as the years go by and and and, and it has real staying power as far as i'm concerned you know and uh, and everyone in it is uh, is so good. You know, Emily Blunt is is. I'll watch anything with Emily Blunt. I haven't I haven't watched um, a Quiet Place two yet, but I am gonna watch it mainly because of uh, that she's in it. She's such a great. She's in another another one of my favorite sci-fi movies of the last several years, which is um, Edge of Tomorrow, which is yes! terrific. <laughs> That's another movie like you were saying. Like people don't really talk about it that much. It kind of came and went, and that's that's a tremendous sci-fi movie. Well, what's also interesting, uh, I'm glad you brought up Edge of Tomorrow, because not only should that be a future episode, but that is, it's another one of those movies where it's kind of in uh, sort of a midpoint, like Edge of Tomorrow is sort of a midpoint for Emily Blunt's career where she's doing this wonderful work, and maybe it's not as highly spoken of, but then you get to like a quiet place, and then all of a sudden it's just high profile. You yeah. go back to Looper, and this is like circa Brothers Bloom era Ryan Johnson, where he's had the indie hit, he's sort of working his way up to Star Wars, and uh, then just waiting to break out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's a, a totally at that point, you know, between the uh, independent, indie, totally indie films like like Brothers Bloom, which maybe I haven't seen, because uh, but I, I have seen Brick. Right, that was another one of his early films. Yeah, that that I saw that was very low budget. Um, so yeah, you're right. It was kind of like a um, a, a transitional period for him. Well, it's also funny too, Mike, that you bring that up because actually I can't remember the last time I saw The Brothers of Bloom. To be honest with you, so it's my more blind spot in, in Ryan's uh, filmography. But I think I, I meant to see it, and then I didn't see it for whatever reason. You know. <laughs> well, maybe Mike can help fill this in too because. What I find interesting, especially about between Brick, Looper, even Star Wars and even Knives Out, is you can tell that Ryan Johnson does have a big thing talking about the way that we treat children. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm wondering where kind of Brothers Bloom maybe fits into this whole thing. Because that, you know, Looper, you know, you can talk about a lot of the different themes it's trying to cover, but ultimately it, it's kind of, it, it is focusing on the idea of how we raise our kids and right. or yeah. what that it, means for the future. It's a very, very emotional um, core of what is otherwise just a kind of um, a goofy time travel plot, you know, and um, he puts this very real element in it. And, and I think that's the thing that very much resonated with me when I was watching it is, is, it's, is it really raises the idea of, um, you know, of people's destinies and how people are treated when they're children and how that affects how they behave um, when, they're, uh, when they're adults. And, and that, if they go in the wrong direction, that can have a gigantic impact in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna get into this area too much, but 
A perfect example of that is Donald Trump, who, <laughs> if someone had maybe hugged him when he was a kid, you know, maybe he wouldn't have become this, this monster that he became, you know, and anything we know about his childhood is there was none of that kind of parental love. And, and, and in Looper, we see the idea that this horrible thing almost happened, that in this one timeline would have happened to this kid. It would have made him bitter. It would have made him resentful. But plus he had, that's, you know, that's a big difference between the kid and Donald Trump. The kid has this incredible talent that Donald Trump obviously has no talents <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but, um, uh, you know, that the kid would have taken his talent and and just decimated the world with it. Um, but in the different timeline, he he um, his mother is there and and she supports him and she loves him. And um, and that was just very powerful to me when I when I watched it. Well, Looper is it. It's a very cyclical story. And just touching on the whole Brothers Bloom thing. Yes, both of the brothers are orphans. And they are raised by like a, a Fagin sort of type that they try to escape. They, they, I think they do escape him. But yes, there is very much a, a how we treat our children vibe to it. And to Looper's point, that is very much the, that is the other loop that's in the film where, you know, Joe talks about how his mother sold him yeah. to, to Abe. And he's like, I gave you something that was yours. And, you know, the, the Sid is sort of, um, he he sees Sid and sees an opportunity to correct the wrongs in his own life. Right. And right. also just the the fact that older Joe goes back and I, I guess uh, well does what he does when it comes to children, the way he treats children right. is something that I I did not I, I I noticed it and it always sat horribly with me. But then it resonated even more watching it this time. And knowing what he does in the end that kind of prevents and redeems that sort of thing. Right. And also, you just made me think of that uh, the theme of it is very much played out in the, the Jeff Daniels character as well um, as the big, very father figure like bad guy um, and the, the other uh, like Hood who's chasing um, him the whole time who just desperately wants his love and acceptance. And it kind of motivates everything he does, you know. Well, I, I uh, always thought it was implied that he was his actual son. Uh, yeah, I think that could be. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I think it's just a tribute to Ryan Johnson's skill, the way he brings all these themes together. Um, and, and at the same time, just making a very fun sci-fi time travel movie. Yeah. And it, it, there is a lot of fun and a lot of, you know, wonder and awe and a lot of visuals, but it, I keep coming back to all those deeper things and look, and this is not, this is not the same thing as talking about the plot, but I, I, I hate using the word brave because I don't think it it's brave to, you know, kind of choose certain roles and, and act them out. But with so much, and again, you don't see anything happen to children specifically in the movie, right. but there are so many large stars in the world that will refuse to do certain things that revolve around the idea of harming children. So I have to give credit to people like Bruce, like Ryan, mm -hmm. like, like Jordan, like Emily to be part of this movie where, especially Bruce is implied what he did to that one kid, mm -hmm. you know, and because his star was still big at that point to, to be willing to do that shows that you care about what's trying to be said not just your own personal image. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and Bruce Willis has made some uh, good choices in his career. Um, my understanding now is he'll just do anything that yeah. you give him for, which I read some article that he's in all these direct-to-DVD movies and they pay him all this money and he just has to show up for a few days. Yeah. He's, he's in like five movies a year that you've never heard of. Yeah. From what I've heard, it's like you pay him a certain amount, he's there for a day, you get uh, what you need. And sometimes it works because he's in he's in Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn. And I, I could tell right away, it's like, oh, they probably only had him for the day. But right, right. when he's on it, a little bit of Bruce Willis goes a long way. Yeah, and he, he's, he's, he's made a lot of, uh, you know, really good, really good movies for sure. I think it was great, though, that he was cast for this. Because I know at the time, especially everybody was talking about another time travel movie with Bruce Willis, because he's done so many. But that's also what I find interesting about both this and at least 12 Monkeys, which is probably the more famous for a certain okay. certain time for him being part of, because it is both movies about what childhood trauma does to the adulthood. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of using him as that is great. I haven't seen 12 Monkeys in a long time, so I'm not as up on it as, as you are. But uh, but yeah, what you're saying is, is, true, is true. Just sort of the sins of the father repeating on the child but the father is the child right and right. that's just that wonderful mind-boggling sort of you know mm -hmm. time loops even if it's just an elongated loop which you know this is like a 30-year loop from when we see joe get to the end point where he has to be sent back to close his loop mm -hmm. even just yeah. in a, an elongated loop there's still a lot of things that need to be considered if you want to you know tell a good story that holds up Oh yeah, and his, you know, his skills as a storyteller, I think, in in all of his films. I'm a big um uh The Last Jedi guy, you know, it's my favorite of the of the latest trilogy and and I really enjoyed um you know, Knives Out, but uh he just has mad storytelling skills. Um and okay. and one thing I I thought about too in Looper what's so great is how at the beginning of the movie there's a voiceover that just explains the whole premise to you there's no beating around the bush of like cleverly trying to sh he's like let's get this information over with you know so people can know what the world is what the premise is what the rules are and and then we can get into character mm. and we can develop the characters and that's the important thing you know i mean i i, I just watched uh uh tenet recently and i and like every scene was like exposition like I, I i didn't follow anything i had no idea what was going on um it was so confusing you know and i think there's a lot to be said to just figuring out even if it's kind of a and looper isn't a simple story there's complications to it but he figures out a way to just lay it on the line for you this is it um here, here's just some straight ahead voiceover to tell you um what's what this world is and that and now we'll just get into it you know and, and i think that's 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 the way to go you know well i understand when it comes to the time travel aspect too that he had shane caruth come on as a consultant who he was co-director for primer you know uh, and having somebody who can kind of take another time travel movie and help him guide that part of it so he could also focus on bringing the whole story together yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that, but that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and then it's just for the rest of the movie, it's just the characters that you're into and their situation, and you know, um, 
it, it's, it's, it's just so good. And exposition is just like the broccoli of storytelling. Like on one hand, you need it. It needs to be there. But on the other hand, it's so damned hard to figure out. Like, I think it was Elmore Leonard was like, oh, you don't need to just tell the audience. You just sneak it into like a scene and they'll, they'll pick it up. But I love broccoli. I do too. Uh, broccoli with cheese sauce. Let's oh, <laughs> broccoli with anything, but cheese sauce is definitely, oh, yeah. terrific. But the sort of the cheese sauce of this broccoli is the fact that Ryan Johnson uses a noir story, like noir storytelling, like he did with Brick. Right. And he's right. allowed to use that voiceover. So it's not a cheat, it's built in. So it's like, okay, then I, he gets to just lay that all out in the beginning. And when he needs it, he goes back to it and it works right. perfectly. And you, and you do learn newer things as, as the story progresses. You know, he doesn't tell you everything right up front, but he just like lets you, you know, and, and does it in the simplest way possible with a voiceover of telling you, this is what, this is the world. These are the rules. Um, this is the premise. Okay, let's go. And that ending always, always gets me like that last voiceover just, mm -hmm. And then his decision to close the loop, so to speak, just ugh. yeah, yeah. It's it's very the 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 climactic scene is extremely powerful, where the, where the kid is starting to use his um, his psychic powers to fuck everything up, and and Emily Blunt is like in midair, and she starts telling him that she loves him, and um, it's it kicks ass. It's so good. Well, I think because I one I going back and think about why it didn't have as big as an impact as I thought it should, and I know there were certain people that apparently had issues with the ending, and I don't know why. I think they're focusing too much on the very specific plot point of it instead of what it's actually trying to say, and I find I actually find that very confusing. I don't I don't understand how, how it's it's kind of simple to understand what he's being done, and it's actually so simple that it makes it even more powerful. Right. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, you know, and, um, you know, I, I think anytime you get nitpicky with story things or plausibility things in a movie, it's because it's because the movie isn't working for you, you mm. know, and and, you know, so other people, I, I, I don't have that point of view, but if they have that point of view about the movie, fine. And I think anytime for any movie, because because a lot of the big you know, uh, movies that we see these days, um, they all have plausibility issues, you know, and it's just a question of if it's done well enough, you don't think about that. But if, if it's not done as well, then that gives your mind the time to think, well, wait a minute, that wouldn't, ha I mean, come on, that's absurd. Well, I mean, it's, it's even the fact of just whether or not it's done well enough to deliver that message, because I'm I'm very much that type of person that wants to nitpick things, and I think they deserve to be because I think as a writer, if you love your story enough, even if you know you're making a certain hole, as long as it's warranted for what you're trying to say, that's okay. But I think most writers nowadays seem to be just, oh, if I make it like this, people will love it, and that's all that matters. So, like a good for instance is going back to Nolan, you know, talking about Memento, I will you know, consider the fact that, yeah, there's that whole, like, well, if he has this condition, how does he even know he has the, have the condition? But it doesn't matter because what he's trying to say and the way he's trying to say it there is done so well that I will forgive it. Yeah, it's it's like style can, um, you know, can win out. Not in every case. No. Uh, the, the, the instance that I always think of, the classic instance, 
and I and is in um, the Hitchcock movie North by Northwest. And I never even thought about this until Hitchcock himself pointed it out to uh, Truffaut in the book of interviews that Truffaut did with Hitchcock, where he points out that the um, that the crop dusting plane attacking Cary Grant is like the most absurd way to try to kill Cary Grant. You can, it's absurd. It's completely ridiculous that the, a guy just didn't come out of a car in the middle of nowhere and shoot him. You know, <laughs> instead, they have um, uh, they have the crop dusting plane come down and and try to kill him from there. It's like it's it's so impractical. And why would anyone come up with that plan? And um, uh, and the reason they came up with that plan is because Hitchcock wanted the crop dusting plane. He wanted he saw that scene in his mind and he wanted it. And you never watch any um, compilation of classic scenes from films without seeing that scene. So there is of a um, case to be made for that. And I, I think also, you know, when we watch films or when we read a novel, we're kind of entering someone's dream. So it kind of, kind of has its own logic, you know. But but it has to be done really well because when it isn't, that's when you're just sitting there going, "Come on." Yeah, that's it's basically it's. This, the screenwriter or the director is basically engaging their trust with the audience. And right, ultimately right. you can only stretch that so far. So yeah. it better be entertaining. There better be a good reason for this. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Yeah. It's not even good reason to me sometimes though. And I, I won't go too far off the track, but like I use this as an example all the time um, for modern films, especially because I, I look at the matrix and whether you enjoy the Matrix when it first came out or it, just like you were saying, Frank, the idea of getting lost in it doesn't make a difference. But when I go back and look at it, I think of somebody who wrote a script saying that ultimately you can do all these crazy things in the Matrix because your mind knows it's not real. But mm. in the same breath, you die in real life if you die in the Matrix because your brain can't tell the difference. And that hypocrisy, that, that kind of hammer against itself that tears it apart for me. That that gives me something to say like, well, you didn't care enough to kind of fix that. Yeah, and um, you know, and the um, the filmmakers were punished for that with unlimited wealth for the rest of their lives. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least two sequels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If maybe uh, the you know we could live in a world where the sequels don't exist, that would be the the good thing. <laughs> I'm one of the rare few that'll defend them because I just, again, I, I had fun, but I still think the Wachowskis might've done their best work after the Matrix because Cloud Atlas and Speed Racer are bar none. Like. No, and I haven't seen uh, Cloud Atlas, but I'm a fan of Speed Racer. Yes! Um, oh, um, man! I, I like Speed Racer. Um, uh, you know, it was, it was a, it, I thought it was a really good kids movie, you know, and um, and just had all kinds of stylish, fun things in it. And um, um, it's, uh, I, I think I posted on Twitter once, like years ago, someone, people, for some reason, people were posting about it. And, and I defended it. And I got like a ton of people who totally agreed with me. I mean, I think, I think that movie has a, has a following out there. Well, that's one of the best things about Speed Racer or even Looper is the fact that the the product itself holds up to the point where it has such a rich afterlife that people still discover it. People will still, you know, put it into other people's hands and say, you have to watch this. You ha What, you haven't seen Looper? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think though, I think that we're getting into the the point where as much as streaming services offer so much that we're getting to a dangerous point where it's harder for people to maybe find these films. Because yes, people can rent Looper right now or if they happen to be part of the stars package, they can watch it. But if somebody wanted to have that availability, you know, certain people would say, I don't want to pay to rent it at this point where it needs, it needs a bigger audience, I think. Yeah, well, I think that's the dilemma for anyone like making movies now or doing anything now is there's so much out there now. Like when I was growing up and I was a film buff, you know, like I felt like I knew about everything that was coming out, that everything that everybody was doing and mm -hmm. like I, I, I relentlessly read about films and and, in, and in, in magazines and in the newspapers, like what's what's coming out, who's doing what, you know, I would read the trades and stuff. Um, but now, like, there's so much out there and so much happens, um, like, without my knowledge. And, and uh, when I was doing a, a podcast with, um, uh, with Trace and Carolina Hildago, uh, we did a podcast about movies and we, and and Carolina and Trace introduced the idea of let's do an episode about uh, what we do in the shadows, you know, and I had literally never heard of it. And I never heard of the people who I, the one guy that was in um, Flight of the Concords, I knew about him. But, um, you know, Taika now, like I'm such a huge fan of his yeah. He's already done several films, but I, I had never heard of him. I knew nothing about him. Um, it's like so much happens now and you just have to be so uh, rigorous to keep up with everything. I, th I also think there's a there's a, a gap in where, you know, everybody talks about they use drive as the modern example of, you know, like, oh, that woman who sued because she was sold thinking it was another movie and it wasn't that action movie. So she didn't, you know, love it. She had, she had an issue with it. She thought she was being duped. And oh, I think I'm not familiar with what is this story? So uh, Drive, uh, uh, Nicholas Wending Rave's Drive with uh, with um, Ryan Gosling, the uh -huh. um, the trailers were all trying to make you think it's an action movie, and it was yeah, it had action and it had some other stuff going on in it. But when somebody went to go see it and then it wasn't an action movie, she sued, saying that she was misled. <laughs> she specifically sued because she thought she was getting another Fast and Furious movie. Yeah. Oh wow. And so like. I think, yeah, I think when it comes to movies like Looper, people may think they're going for one thing, which is, again, I, I'm so interested in why it wasn't a bigger hit, even though it was a hit. Mm. Because, like, I actually talked to somebody after, somebody I knew from high school, and his gripe was, oh, I don't want to see a movie that takes place, you know, half the movie takes place on a farm. And I'm like, first of all, in rewatching it, I timed it. It takes an hour to, to even get to the farm. But this guy is the same person who was like in love with Walking Dead at the time, which had a whole season on a farm and he didn't care about that. And I'm like, I don't see why that should matter. He's definitely not going to take your recommendation to watch The Grapes of Wrath, I'm guessing. <laughs> now, who is no, this John Steinbeck? And why does he always write about farms? <laughs> no, but that's the thing. It's like, what does it matter what you're sold in a trailer? If something does, it, does something well, Right. That's what should be what you care about. And Looper did all of it well. Yeah, and, and it's it's um uh I think it's always a mistake when they when they try to make a trailer that's misleading about the movie. Those those movies don't usually do well, you know, because yeah. people they should just tell you this is exactly what it is, you know, and then people can find out for themselves. Um 
it's weird though because I, I understand they do it to get people in the seats to get the money and, and they don't care what happens yeah. after that but it seems like that we've come to a point though where just because something may not be what you thought it was supposed to be I want to be I want to be tricked almost I'd rather sit down and expect one thing because if I expect it I'll probably go like I know what's going to happen but when it turns me on its head well you know what I think is one of the great um, watching experiences and it only happens rarely but is when you when you sit down to watch something and know absolutely nothing about it you know absolutely and, and you have no expectations and you weren't planning on watching it um and and then you just watch it and it it's it's and, and it's a great experience but it comes out of nowhere uh, i had that experience uh recently not with um not with a movie, but with a TV show where um, when The Queen's Gambit premiered on Netflix, I just, I, I didn't, I hadn't read anything about it. I hadn't heard of it. And um, it just had a picture of the woman who was the star. And she was just looked so intriguing to me that I watched it, um, not knowing what it was or anything about it. And then, I, and then I was like, like a lot of people, and of course it's been written about a million times since, you know, like a lot of people, I, I was just enthralled with it. Um, but I love having that experience of just, um, uh, I think it's why I still have basic cable is the idea that it's in the morning, you can turn something on and watch something you had no plans of watching and then see something really good. Well, that's also what's great about uh, Pluto TV is one of those things that they'll just randomly have it's like the streaming equivalent of basic cable where they'll they still they're ad supported but it's free and you could just flip on any of the channels and there's like uh, a block coincidentally enough a block of mystery science theater stuff yeah, i've heard i've heard yeah. there's like a, a whole bunch of paramount programming like from their networks like you could sit there and watch a whole day at jersey shore if you wanted to uh, uh <laughs> but it, I uh, touching on why this may not have been as big of a deal as it should have been. I think, first of all, it's because it was a, a September release. Second of all, this was September 2012. And 2012 oh. summer had things like the Avengers and the amazing Spider-Man. And I think that those were still sort of reverberating and not, not the same sphere, but a very similar sphere. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think people... Because both the Avengers and the Amazing Spider-Man, they're um, they're primarily known as superhero movies, but you can classify them as sci-fi too if you wanted to. Yeah, you know? yeah. They absolutely have sci-fi elements in to them, and um, I think Looper uh, has elements of 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 sci-fi from before the before Star Wars, you know, like in the like in the early 70s or in the 60s even, um, like a sci-fi movie, you know, 2001 being the most blatant example of this, where sci-fi movies were not considered popcorn movies. Yeah. Uh, then. yeah. They were thought they were thoughtful films that like raised issues and about society and were metaphors you know, like THX 1138 and, and uh, Silent Running and stuff like that. You know, they weren't, nobody, people forget this. Hollywood didn't think of sci-fi, you know. I mean, the earlier days of the 50s of sci-fi, Hollywood thought of sci-fi as like a low-budget B-movie kind of thing, just a way to make a quick 
not a lot of money, but a quick buck. And then uh, by the late 60s and, and early, early 70s, it was more like a hippie thing, like, uh, you know, 2001 Slaughterhouse-Five, uh, you know, which, which were just quirky kinds of films um, that people like to see and then discuss afterwards. And, uh, and Looper, I think, has one foot in that kind of sci-fi film. You know, so I think people who had, who had just seen The Avengers and Spider-Man, if, if they were looking for that experience again, um, they weren't going to get it, you know. And I like both wow. The Avengers and Spider-Man, but I like Looper better. It's always weird that genre kind of has, it's usually sort of all or nothing with genre. Like you very rarely see that sort of middle of the ground budget, middle of the ground hit. It's either really sort of on the lower end where they have to get creative or very overblown where it's like, okay, we have a ton of money to throw at this. Right, We've right. got big grand concepts. And I think that's kind of what the audience has grown to expect from that genre. Yeah, totally. It it's the absolute mainstream of Hollywood cinema is sci-fi and superhero, the two genres that used to be, um, you know, B movies, never, you know, never the major studio releases yep. ever. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and, uh, and that's what people expect now. Like I, I, read, um, I read somewhere that uh, Planet of the Apes the original one, the reason it got made was because uh, 20th Century Fox um, had recently done Fantastic Voyage, you know, and Fantastic Voyage was an unexpected hit. And so they were like, oh, okay, that was a hit. Maybe this will be a hit, you know. Um, but but it's just funny how uh, Hollywood just really never had a big interest in sci-fi until Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I also wonder where Again, going back to the idea of, of why Looper didn't hit as big as it did, not just the sci-fi aspect, maybe, but and I'm not I'm not trying to 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 talk you know, be derogatory to him at all because I love Joseph Gordon Levitt, but I wonder where there may be a point where he wasn't as big as a main leading man star as Hollywood thought maybe he was going to be. And as much as people loved him, then maybe he wasn't the box office draw that people thought he was gonna be, or Hollywood thought he was gonna be. Yeah, I mean, um, he's one of those guys that, um, and he's done a lot of really good work, you know, but he's yeah. always, he's always been one of those guys that's, he's coming up, he's on his way to stardom, you know, but it, it never quite uh, got to that point. Uh, I, I, I think one, um, one maybe indication of his career is how in, um, The Dark Knight Rises, like the very last scene the very last scene in the movie uh, is setting him up to be Robin in a movie that will never be made. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of where his luck goes as far as like big blockbuster things. I will never forget. I was at like the New York Film Festival premiere for The Walk, the movie that he did with Robert Zemeckis. Oh, which movie? The Walk, the one where it was about the- uh, Oh, I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've heard of that movie. It's, it's the, the World Trade Center, right? The, yeah. Someone I, literally asked him in that press conference, so do you think you're in your leading man phase? And <laughs> this was after Looper, after yeah. 10 Things I Hate About You. After I think it was even after he made Don John, where he literally wrote, directed, and starred yeah. in it. So a good movie, too. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's just it, that that's that that speaks to that luck. It's like yeah. he, he gets to work with Robert Zemeckis and is in a Q and A with him, and he's still not recognized as as being in his leading man. I, I think that's the nature of the modern cinema world we live in is that um, that kind of big, gigantic, all-encompassing stardom, uh, it feels like it happens more rarely now. Yeah. And what happens more frequently is that you, you, your career gets hot, you get a lot of, uh, you know, leading roles in movies and, and you just work a lot. And, 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 you, and also TV is an option, you know, you do TV series, all these kinds of people, um, uh, like like Jude Law would be an example. He he was supposed to be a big movie star, now, and now he's just a really good actor who's in a million things, you know. Um, or Clive Owen, you know, people like that. Like, they never become like big, yeah, big big box office draws, um, uh, like Tom Cruise or someone like that. But they, you know, they're they're leading men though, you know, and th that I think might even be a better career than the big. Um, than the big super movie star kind of career. Because then you might end up like Tom Cruise, who's just, who who has been in good stuff like Edge of Tomorrow, which I just mentioned, but it seems like his whole career is about hanging on to that international box office star thing that he's got going. Just running through all his movies and, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and all he does now is that kind of, he used to, he doesn't even try to get Oscars anymore like he used to, you know, doing Born on the Fourth of July and stuff like that. Now it's all it's all blockbuster action films with him now. Which I wonder if he'll I, I wonder what's going to happen, because he I think he said when he turns 60, which is a roughly around the time he's going to finish Mission Impossible 2 in the next or eight Mission Impossible 8 yeah. in the next couple of years. I think he's ready to walk away from from action. Well, you know, I mean, I I I have mixed feelings about that because he he makes good action film. Like I like I like the Mission Impossible movies, you know. Um, I I but I don't go to any of his stuff. Uh, like I don't expect deep performances from him, you know. Yeah. Um, but but he as a producer and as a star, he makes he makes good good blockbuster uh film and then he made one a couple of years ago um with doug lyman i, I think uh, called um, american um, american made american made which was a good movie not great but it was a very solid thing it you know it was a little different from what he usually did um but uh you know i think the other kind of i think the jo joseph gordon lewitt career is a better kind of career to have i think yeah you get you get to do more interesting things and more yeah you know, worthwhile things that, that stimulate you compared to, I'm not saying that the big action film can't be stimulating, but it leads uh, to the more deeper roles. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, you're not bound by expectations and, and market focus groups that say, okay, uh, I, I can't have this relationship in The Mummy. Can we rewrite this so that way, you know, because that, that, that was something that I, I still can't believe was allowed to happen. Yeah, the mummy was amazing. Um, uh, you know, just the desperate need to um, create their own Marvel cinematic universe, but like, you know, having Doctor Jekyll be a character, and you know, and have Russell Crowe play him. You know, it, it was just, just such 
it so didn't work at all. Well, know? he was the more interesting part of the movie. Um, you know, I, I feel I feel I feel wrong by having to jump back because I I kind of turned away when we were talking about sci-fi. But also going back to Looper, though, I think the interesting thing about being a sci-fi film and being a in the future film, even though it's now only what twenty six years off, uh, so it isn't that far in the future. But again, it's something where the style, the look, it wasn't trying to be like sci-fi. It was very grounded, and you know, wasn't like this fantastical look what we have in the future. Yeah, there is the TK thing for telekinesis, and there are the the jet saddled bikes that you have but it's also very modern very grounded very modern and and your friend who um who didn't want to see a movie on a farm <laughs> i think he really missed out because you know that part of it it, it seemed more like a western than a sci-fi yeah. movie. no some people don't want to see westerns i have no problem with them and um and that might have even been a conscious thing on ryan johnson's part of like this is a sci-fi movie but a lot of it is on a, is in a rural farm like setting and i bet that uh, that appealed to him also it has garrett dillahan in it so therefore it is a western that's that's kind of like a nice little touch where it's like if he's in there you can make the case right right yeah yeah so and a better a better sci-fi western than uh, cowboys versus aliens i have to say i enjoy cowboys versus aliens it wasn't a great movie but that's a movie like i walked in not knowing and i enjoyed i ended up enjoying it it's not without its charms, I'll say, um, but um, it's a misfire. And may, and for me, the main, uh, the main egregious thing about it is that you literally have Indiana Jones and James Bond in the same movie, and you don't really do anything with it. You know, <laughs> I still haven't seen it, but now I'm afraid to. I'm even more afraid to now because of this. You haven't seen it. Interesting. I mean, I know it was I know it was a big flop. I know people didn't like it. I just, you know what it was? I think that it was a lot darker than I was expecting it to be. And I I I liked it for that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I I I you know, I wasn't bored by it. I mean, I watched it, but uh I mean it had such a great cast, you know. It's I think when they put together all those elements and plus you know, uh, John Favreau, who's done really good stuff. He directed it. And, and you just kind of, your expectations are just kind of high. And yeah. it, it didn't quite live up to that. But it's it's very much like that idea of not knowing, because I say it all the time. Like, I don't want to know if I don't watch trailers. The right. films I love the most are just like you said, films that I had no idea what I was walking into and just having a ball with it. But mm. um, also, it's just fun to be surprised. Yeah, being like I'd rather see a big, a fun misfire than a boring, sure thing. Hmm. That yeah, I I totally agree with that, and I I I, I think, um, like a talented person making something that falls short can often be very interesting, in um, more interesting than um, Michael Bay on his best day, because that's I think why we like why we like filmmakers is we don't expect every one of their films to be great but we're always interested to see what they're up to and what they're trying to do and and again for somebody like ryan who could have this thematic undertone just like terry gilliam you know it's always about not letting go of your dreams and being able to right. you know have mm -hmm. this fantasy life that exists as well you can't just be the pen pusher but being able to do something different with it each time is what brings us keep keeps bringing us back to watch their films 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's always something, uh, something interesting to see. And sometimes a disaster can be a fascinating thing to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There were some, some, some great disasters out there, but it feels weird saying, even if you enjoy the, watching the pieces fall apart, mm-hmm. there's something to say that you feel wrong saying that's a good film. Well, you know, there's also, for me, there's the, the idea that, um, you know, when you watch something by someone that you know is really talented and it's not, it's, and it kind of falls short, it's, it's like that sh- you should reassure yourself in your own creativity of like, you know, I just have to, to I just have to move forward and do stuff. Uh, I can't get too hung up on whether it's going to be successful or not. You know, I, I, I just have to do my thing just like they're doing their thing, you know, and um uh, it's kind of reassuring when great people that you admire fail, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I guess I, it's okay for me to fail too. Knocks them down that peg and it puts them right next to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Frank, thanks so much for joining us to talk about uh, Luke here and over Durandals. We It was great talking to you. Thank you for being oh, here. Oh, thank you. It was, it was really enjoyable. And, and thanks so much for having me. Ah, well, stay safe. And again, just absolute honor. <laughs> It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank, so much for your time. It's fantastic having you here. I, you know, separate from what we just talked about, I do have to say that I, like many people, massive Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan. I, you know, I wouldn't say this to him, and I had never said it to anybody else from the show that I've talked to. Uh, so hopefully he doesn't listen to, actually, hopefully he doesn't listen to his own episode to hear that I'm about to say this. But I was such a massive fan. I watched so much Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in the day that I actually had a problem in like early high school where I couldn't fall asleep unless I heard their voices playing in the background. That's dedication. I watch a lot of it. Absolute dedication. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been known to do that a couple of times, especially since, uh, as I mentioned in the interview, Pluto TV has a bunch of like old mystery science theaters from like all the eras. So uh, growing up, I was more familiar with Joel because, uh, not more familiar with Joel, I was more familiar with Mike because that was mostly what was on sci-fi. But I knew Joel existed and I knew, you know, Trace Boulot was in there. I knew Frank, TV's Frank was in there and Dr. Forrester. So I wasn't ignorant of it, but I caught a lot of their antics more often through Pluto. And, you know, that's... it's just all the more exciting that Frank was just really passionate about this movie. Like most of our guests are on this show, but again, the guests picked the movie and that touching story about him stumbling yeah, on yeah. Looper thinking it was what he needed. And then eventually learning it was what he needed, just not in the way he expected. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to press the story any more than what he spoke about. Cause he's, he's obviously spoken about it before in certain places. And I'm not going to sit there and kind of grind them on that. Cause we're there to talk about the movie, but in that same breath, it is one of those things where like, yeah, he thought it was going to be an escape what he needed, but it was much more of a cathartic what you need because sometimes there's nothing like a good cry and this movie will do it to you whether or not you have that emotional attachment beforehand or not. Yeah, I mean, that again, I was, I, I first of all, I could not believe that I didn't think of this before and you just hit it right on the head. Ryan Johnson and childhood, childhood trauma and also just how we treat the next generation, how we treat people that we even have a preconceived notion of. Because you look at 
old Joe going after Sid, thinking he's the Rainmaker. That's exactly what he does in Last Jedi with Luke and Kylo Ren. It's 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 all about breaking a cycle. I mean, Looper's about breaking a cycle. Yes, you know that, that whole thing. He 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 grafts onto Star Wars later, and he doesn't rip himself off because it's Star Wars. It needed that. Fight me about it on the internet. You'll get my. You know where my socials are. But it's it's a it's a it's a different version that uses a similar model, but at the same time, he does something completely different with it. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny too because as as we spoke about, yes, I mean, it's obvious in all of those films where that point's being made and, and and how much it you know the idea of adolescence is what he's you know delving into and exploring. But I think Looper, out of all of them, maybe because it's much more prescient to the actual story than maybe some of the other ones where the other ones have bits and pieces here and there. Um, you know, especially Star Wars and Knives Out, where they're a little more around the edges compared to the whole entire theme. But it's just so incredible. I mean, again, you know, we're no spoilers specifically, but you know, the ending of this movie and in, in what in what he does to himself, it's not the action of what he does to himself that gets me. It's the idea of the realization that even if he didn't notice it in himself or how he grew up, but just being able to see it for somebody else, <clears throat> that's what's important and that's what's powerful. Well, yeah, because I mean, ultimately the theme is treating the, uh, making way for the next generation, giving them a better shot than you had. And just, you really dig into this story and you see all the, the sorts of things that you do kind of see play sometimes play out sometimes in in reality itself it's it's sort of this notion of uh do you spoil yourself versus do you share a little more with those to come yeah i mean there's also I mean, there's there's other levels to it too because with the ultimate end goal is what again we, we, we talked about during our discussion and what we're talking about now but there's that whole they repeat it multiple times in the movie there's the whole idea abe says it to him you know it's like you were, you know, this young punk, I put a gun in your hand and gave you something that was yours. And it's that idea of, again, what maturing adulthood means. Just because you have something of your own and you take it from a gun doesn't make you an adult, doesn't make you a man. And it's exploring that part of it too, which kind of, I even forget about in, in, in the whole, you know, talking about all of it because I'm so focused on that end result for the Sid part of the story. And which is also, again, Joe's part of the story. Yeah. And uh, just the, the cyclical nature of uh, the, the, the sort of the sins of the father revisited upon the son. But again, you know, the son is the father. It just kind of makes it a little more crazy to, to keep track of, but that, that definitely, that feeds into the whole Western angle. Yeah, like I your mean, whole you, what just because you took it by a gun doesn't mean it's yours. That's yeah. You set this a couple decades back and throw a, a more farm scenes in there, and this is a western. This is Unforgiven. This is uh, Tombstone. Unforgiven, which is that vicious cycle. You know, getting back into it again and, and find yourself there because at that point it seems like what's right, even if you were technically lied to a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, um, that one more kill, the one last. Yeah, well, it's, it's part. It's part oh. of you, and it's going to come back around. 
but where this is again as we said already breaking that cycle because I, I hate I hate overusing the term but it's the idea of the vicious cycle the idea that we go through life thinking that we can throw these things away and that that'll just take care of itself, but it's going to come back around and be something else in itself. And I say be something else. I'm talking about a person as if they're not even a person. I'm saying it, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, we, we can't just be so callous about that. Um, and, you know, there are other things in the movie. It'd be too much to go into all of it. There are other small things, too, like involving the idea of, um, you know, we, we touched on a little bit, but we didn't talk into Joe's drug use that much. And his kind of relationship with a stripper uh, who also has a young child who also may possibly be the rainmaker at some point, you know? And then um, the whole mother issues that he has. Yeah, that I mean, lots, yeah, I mean, again, it all fits into this very large ball of, you know, forgive me for being so blunt about it, but ball of fucked up that even as you have the very obvious and then not so obvious pieces of the film that you can explore, there's even more to explore every time you watch it. Sir, you swore on a podcast. I don't think that's allowed. I marked it explicit, don't worry. <laughs> oh, no, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of the charm that is overdue rentals because I like to think of this as you and I kind of running a video store and just, again, those movies that need to be put in people's hands. It's like, what? Because I, I don't know about you. I never got to work in a video store. So I worked, at, I worked at Tower Records where we had a video section. That's close enough. Because I never got to, I never worked that, ex well, I worked at Kmart in high school. So maybe a little bit of that I got where some people might ask, oh, what movies are good? Or what should I do with this? But it's still not the same as someone asks you like for movie recommendations. And I just love when people do that. And it's like, okay, you should, what do you like? Uh, you haven't seen Looper? You need to watch Looper. Uh, you need to watch The Singing Detective. You need to watch all the back episodes that we've done and all the episodes that we will do because that's what Overdue Rentals is. And where, and where can they find all those? Um, I think they can find them on anchor.fm, which if you really want the skeleton key to all the different platforms, because we're pretty much everywhere. I mean, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify. Uh, I think there is a phone in the kitchen that I haven't used in 10 years. Uh, no, there isn't, but we would be on there. But you go to anchor.fm, uh, you can search for Overdue Rentals and you will see us listed there. And you can not only listen to this episode that you're currently listening to, this may become your favorite episode, but there's other informative, enriching, shows that we've done what about what about on social media where can they find us there oh social media is very big P kids kids love social media and again i am sorry to say we're not on tiktok yet we should be on tiktok at some point but for right now we're not on tiktok but we are on twitter at rentals overdue we are on facebook at overdue rentals on instagram at overdue rentals show and our email box which is just waiting for praise and comments, and more importantly, for other suggestions, is overdue-rentals at gmail.com. And with that, thanks again to Frank Kana for joining us to talk about Looper. Make sure you go out and you cross Looper off your overdue-rentals list. Ooh. And oh, and I think it's coming out on 4K this year. There you go. Perfect timing, everybody. Look at go that. Look it. at that, Sony. Look at that. <laughs> Mike, it's been a pleasure. Ah, Matthew, love it as always. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.